Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome, everyone, into the Rafters. We launching a podcast. This is good news. I would like to be a part of that. I could make it up, and you'd be like, oh, yeah, that sounds right. Right on. Just keep going. I bleed green. Should probably have somebody look at that. (laughs) This is View from the Rafters, behind the scenes with the Boston Celtics. And, guys, I cannot believe we're finally here. You've just witnessed history because after 12 years of talking about it, we're finally going to be about it and jump headfirst into the podcast space. Uh, we're doing it with a star cast of hosts, and I'm definitely not talking about me. We've got Kendrick Perkins, former Celtics champion and current rising star in the media industry, as we've talked about before. Uh, we've got former Celtics sideline reporter and current Celtics studio host for NBC Sports Boston, Abby Chin, and last but certainly not least, longtime voice of the Boston Celtics, Sean Grandy. Uh, we've got everyone here on this first episode to, to be able to kind of talk about what, what we're going to be doing on this podcast moving forward and what this is all about. Uh, but I just want to start out with Perk. 12 years ago, I was standing in your locker with a microphone in my hand as a 23-year-old dude who just got hired by the Celtics. How the hell did we wind up here with you and me being on a podcast together? Because I, 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 I can't know, comprehend that this is where we're at. Did I did I even a- answer your question? You did. You listen. When I needed an answer, I went to your locker because you were oh, always so going to tell us oh, straight. Oh, so that's what happened. You used yeah. me. No, listen. We always used to talk about it. Interview. That's what you happened. Were, it's cool, Mark. You tell you me. You were always you. a straight shooter, and you still are. No, you you used Big Perk <laughs> because KG wasn't doing interviews. Okay, I get it. I get it. I'm glad you're telling me. Tell me how you really feel. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> we we needed a straight yeah. shooter. That's why we What's love that, you. Abby? And that's why we need you for this podcast because this Celtics podcast is going behind the scenes where no one else can go. And that's why we need you to take us in there. Hey, yeah, we would have started this podcast three years ago if you had been able to figure out Google Chrome. Right, right. I'm not good. Look, look, Sean, I'm I'm not good. I'm telling you, I'm not good at emails. I'm not good at none of that TikTok and 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 uh, 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 Insta Twitter. Insta Twitter. Okay, I'm pretty good at Twitter, but I'm not good at all the other stuff. All right, you're great at Twitter. Don't sell yourself short. Yeah, I'm great at Twitter. I'm old soul. Well, let's tell everyone what this thing's all about, folks. We're gonna give you a view of this organization, its history, its stories, its legends from a perspective that you guys haven't seen before. You might have heard the story, but you've never heard it like this. You might know what happened, but you don't know how it happened. You might think you know the person, but do you really? So those are, those are the things that we're going to bring to you this season. And Grandy, I know you've got some examples of, of stories that you've literally been a part of over the years here with Boston. It's about 20 years that you've been calling games for this team that you can tell from a perspective that literally no one else would understand or has heard before. Am I right? Well, everybody has seen different things, right? We all, it's, it's essentially everybody has their own camera in their mind. And now it's a chance to talk about some of the same things that we've all experienced together, that fans have all experienced, that the organization has experienced, but everybody's got a different chair. And my seat on the plane and my seat in the booth and my seat next to Max 
things have looked maybe a lot different for me than they have for Abby and a lot different than they have for Perk and a lot different, Mark, than they did for you. No question. And Perk, you had that seat in the locker room back in the 2007-2008 championship season. And I know there was a mantra that was born at the beginning of that season. And that's one of the stories that we're going to detail this season. Tell us about this thing that Doc Rivers brought to the table that ignited what you guys were able to accomplish that year and the story that we're going to tell later this season. Are you you referring to the word Mbutu? I sure am. You are right, right, Mbutu. So when Doc brought it up, we were like, Doc, what are you talking about? And he made he made all the rookies go and research the word in Bluetooth, right? Like it was Big Baby. I think it was uh, Big Baby is the only one I remember. But we had, and that's bad. Sorry about that. I'm horrible. no offense to anyone else yeah, who was no, a rookie on the team that year. Did you guys go research it? He didn't tell you what it meant. You had to go no. look it up and figure it out. Yeah, we had to go figure it out, right? So not us, the rookies. <laughs> And they had, had a report to, back? And they had to, no, they seriously, it was like a homework assignment. They had to go and really come back with like a, 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 some paperwork and read to us what it was about. You know, um, I only could be better if Abby is better and Sean is better. That's the only way I could be better. So basically, like, you had to want success for, your, for others, right? That we needed each other to get the job done. And then, um, he kind of preached it to us, basically saying it was it was kind of all in, right? All in method. Where it was like togetherness, no hidden agenda. I got you, I got your back. We may fall out at times, but we got each other back. We didn't have hidden agendas as far as individual goals. We knew everything that we were trying to accomplish was greater than one individual, right? So. In Bluetooth, we could talk about that for three or four hours. That's how long. And we will. And we yeah, will. Right. This is only yeah, the tip of the iceberg. But, see, but so, like, my, my thing is I'm not good with, like, you know, really breaking down the word in Bluetooth, getting into the dictionary, because I haven't looked in the dictionary since high school. Right? <laughs> I haven't looked into a encyclopedia since high school. But I tell you this, John, tell me this. You've been around for 20 years, right? Talking about your plane ride. Two decades. Two decades. Plus. How many games is that? Uh, it's a lot. But <laughs> hey, I want you I want you to keep it real. The funnest plane rides was when we were <laughs> between 2008 and 2011, right? With the big boom box. We jamming Rick Ross. You maybe was trying to sleep. You couldn't sleep. We had a dice game going, shirts off. You know, hey, it was it was popping on there. No rules. You remember that, right, Sean? My playlist on my iPod was me. I'd go up to Paul Pierce. I'm like, what's this one? And he would tell me, and I would punch it in, whatever. And that's how my playlist <laughs> ended up developing during during those years. Here's a true story. 2011, there was a guy. He, he didn't make a big impact in the NBA or anything. I think his name was Shaq or something like that. And he ended up on this team. In 2011, early midseason, maybe 15, 20 games in, he walks back on the plane. And remember, it's not just you. It's it's not just ticket. It's now you got Nate Robinson on this team. This is a why the plane didn't need fuel offered to take off, right? It would just go up on its own. Shaq wandered back. True story. Comes back to me where I'm sitting, whatever, and looks around. He's like, is it always this crazy on a plane? I'm like, and that's Shaq. Shaq. He had seen some things and been some places, and he was overwhelmed by walking into that environment in that 2010-2011 season. Part of me wishes that we could transport brad stevens onto one of those rides just oh to see how different i mean i can't explain to you guys how completely different the rides are now than what they were back then like that was my first experience getting on a plane with you guys back then perk in like 2009 2010 and i'm walking on and i'm, I'm like okay so this is what the nba is like right there's <laughs> money flying all over the place there's the boom box right in the middle of the plane like I'm not listening to what I want to listen to. I'm listening to what you guys are listening to when it's playing. So yeah. it, it was a crazy experience. The best part was when we'd have people on a plane. We'd have sponsors, and they'd, they'd bring their kids on the plane, right, late at night, come back. And we had to tell the plane we were about to take off. They're two or three rows away from, from KG and Perk and whatever. We had to turn to the kids saying, are right, you going to hear some words now. Don't use them in school tomorrow. Earmuffs. We cannot stop the plane conversation before we talk about the infamous arm wrestling story. Because there's two Ooh. sides of it, right? And Perk, Big Baby, 
was the arm wrestling champion. KG had seen enough, needed to show that he was the alpha dog. But also, I mean, there was some funny business going on with that, wasn't there? Well, well, first of all, first of all, no one crowned Big Baby as the arm wrestling. Except Big Baby, right? Except Big Baby, okay? (laughs) Because I never got into it because I I felt like it was just dumb, right? (laughs) Us to be sitting up there arm wrestling as grown men like it's a hobby. Something could happen, someone could get into it. I wasn't trying to be a part of that. So here's the story. We were so competitive, okay, that... We basically betted on anything. And when I tell you anything, we betted on anything. Yeah. We had a disagreement about something. It was like, all right, then bet a hundred. I bet you wrong on this. Well, there was Googling something. So I don't even know how we got to arm wrestling because, you know, we had two tables. One was big the big Blu-ray game. One was the junior Blu-ray game. The big Blu-ray game maybe had about 100,000 cash flowing over there. The baby Blu-ray game maybe had about $1,500. I don't know how it got to arm wrestling. (laughs) All I know is is that Leon Poe and Big Baby was talking noise, Tony Allen and Paul hyping it up, and so they arm wrestle, right? Big Baby beats Leon. Okay, cool. Ticket all of a sudden is sitting there, and he's like, we, we call Big Baby Funk. So he's like, what you looking at, Funk? So Wait, you like, call him Funk? Why do you call him Funk? It, it's the inside. I, I'd rather not say it. Ooh, okay. It's a, it's oh, a that's mix. too that's, far. That, that, that's for the After Hours podcast. We call him yeah. Big Funk because he liked to dance and we just, you know, Funk. All right, cool. That's one That's one reason we call him that. But here's <laughs> it. So Big Baby and Leon, Big Baby, so Ticket instigates the situation for no reason. He's like, what Shocking. you looking at me? He's, what you looking at me for? Like, what you you want some of this? So we like, so Big Baby's like, yeah, what's happening? See, y'all think, because KG always felt like that Big Baby, Leon, and myself felt that because we were bigger than him, like far as size-wise, that we felt like we were stronger or something than him. And he always had something to prove mentally. So he like, so y'all think something sweet about me. Let's go then. So now everybody like, oh, okay, let's get it. So KG takes off his shirt. Him and Big Baby lock up. Now everybody placing bets, right? Paul Pierce like, I got ticket. Who want to fade? Who want to take this bet? So everybody like, let's bet. It's like ten thousand cash on the floor because Paul didn't match everybody bet, including mine. I got Big Baby. I'm like, no way. KG is beating Big Baby and arm wrestling. They get started. They lock up. KG's looking him in the eyes, and now they say go, right? Whoever, I think it was Ray, holding the hands, he let go. Big baby straining. KG is not trying to even move. He's not even trying to put any force. He's just holding it there. He's like, yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't F with me. You can't mess with me. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the silverback around here. I'm the silverback. So big baby is straining, trying to get him to go. All of a sudden, Big Baby gets tired, and the ticket is just slowly, boom. He stand up, yeah. Ah, I'm the MF and Silverback on this plane and on this team. And P is like, my cheese? Picked up all the bread. That's exactly how the story went, detail for detail. And Grandy, you were sitting right there. What what was that experience like for you? Well, that was, uh, Everything happened. That's exactly the way it happened. But the punchline, <laughs> the tag to the story, the funniest part was uh, KG was doing that. He was pounding himself on the chest and using the silverback thing. And Max always uh, trying to have as much fun as he could possibly with me. He turns, he goes, I dare you to use silverback on the air tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, no. Did you? Did you? Did you use it? Good. <laughs> I've, I've been known to have some challenges in my writing. Someone will send me some messages. Even some people who work for the Celtics send me a message and say, all right, here's the words that you got to work into your postgame story tonight. And I always figure out a way. Abby, what were you going to say? Well, I heard one of the ways or one of the versions, too, was that Big Baby Perk used to hold on or like ground himself at the end of the table. And KG shut that down right before the matchup. So KG saw something and, and cheated to call him he out. Saw yeah, he, he probably did. He probably did. I mean, KG right. KG noticed everything. He he may not say nothing, but he's observing. Well, he will say something, but he's always watching. Right, he will say something. 
the 2018 and Ubuntu and arm wrestling isn't the only story we're going to tell. There's another one that that three of us were directly involved with, and we couldn't believe that it was happening back in 2013. The entire change of the trajectory of of the organization. Grandy, what stands out to you about the summer of 2013 and kind of the shift in the paradigm around the Boston Celtics? Well, the final year of the you know what. I, I dubbed the, the new big three era, which is kind of stuck, right? 2012, 2013, Perk is long gone. He's been back in the finals. Everyone's kind of disappeared. It was a sitcom that you knew was in its final year. Like it's now it's, oh, Jason Terry starring as Ray Allen. You know, you have guest stars in it. You knew it was towards the end. And we all knew it was the end. And I called that year, it was more of a basketball museum than it was <laughs> a season. It's like, hey, come see Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett in their natural state. Because you knew the Celtics weren't going to win the championship in 2013. They weren't a threat anymore to win. But what was going to happen next? It seemed impossible. And going into that summer, you know, they, they made some noise with the Knicks and they win game four or five and eventually they lose. And what's going to happen? Because it felt as if the window to make the big trade, it felt as if that window had closed, that there, there's no hope that you're just going to – these guys are going to wander off into free agency and you're going to have to start from scratch. And it just began this extraordinary process. We could not have possibly envisioned that we'd all be back a few months later. And Brad Stevens, that guy from Butler, the guy that went to the Final Four a couple of times, that he would be the new coach, that the roster would be completely, you know, completely turned over. And in this over-information age, when you can't sneeze without it being on social media – the Celtics went from point A to their new point A in the fall of 2013 and did so much of it under the radar without any warning, not just Literally. the Brad Stevens signing gets all the attention that that's going to be the last story ever broken by press release, but that, you know, old school there, even the trade itself and how that happened with the Nets and the ramp up to it, that it's easy to talk about 2008. There were a million stories from the championship season, just as there was from the original big three with Larry and all those. But it's the, it's the subtle little stories. Like, how do we get from here to here that is really fascinating to me because it launched, obviously, within a year and a half later, you're back in the playoff conversation. And we see so many teams that go five, six, seven, eight years really out of the mix, hoping for their break. And how this thing did that cable car turn right? It started in a new direction is pretty fascinating story to me. And you say summer of 2013, I can still envision myself. I know exactly where I was drinking margaritas at the Granary Tavern down in the financial district of Boston. It was like the first warm day ever. And I look at my phone and I see this news alert come through that the Celtics hired Brad Stevens. And I was I remember looking at it saying, what? No way. And I put it away. I thought it was wrong. I was like, they'll figure it out. What this? <laughs> what are they talking about? And it is amazing to me, Sean, something that everything was so under the radar. And I think it's really important to remember, even now that we are in the midst of trade season and we hear all these rumors and all this information swirling around, anything that comes from the Celtics directly, they want out because... Their operation is small enough. Everyone in there knows what is involved. And so they don't, those little leaks or something, if you just hear a little nugget, that is not coming from the Celtics. Abby, it's everyone funny because be aware of that. that. That Brad Stevens contract in him signing in that announcement, it kind of started this little game. I feel like it's a game in the Celtics front office that they're just like, all right, how can we keep this from anyone knowing? How, how long can we keep this going? Because that's not the first or the last time the Celtics have broken their own news. It happens all the time. And it continues to this day, even in 2021, which is insane, given the, the shams and the woges of the world who are breaking news left and right. It's crazy. But I feel like it's an internal game with the Celtics that they're like, they're like, we're going to keep this internal. You guys aren't going to hear about it until we press the button. Yeah, but what do you hear on that secret, quiet, uh, secretive flight to Indiana that Mike Zarin and Danny H had the same arm wrestling contest, right? Shirts <laughs> off, the whole, the whole thing on the way to sign. Right? I would pay to watch that. You, you know you know what's crazy for us with that whole breakup of the, the big three era that I feel like we don't talk about enough is that Doc Rivers got traded, right? Like, yes. as a quote-unquote. Yeah, but kind of traded. What you mean? This, didn't the Celtics get something back in return? They, yeah. yeah, technically you can't trade a coach, so they had to release him from his contract in uh, for compensation. Yeah. Is, but yeah, it wasn't an official trade, but it was. Yeah, but, but Perk, here, here's the Perk, Here's the drama, right, with Doc, because 
Doc was in the situation where he had to say how much he wanted to stay. But there are, this is something we know, there are two NBAs, right? There's the Thursday night TNT, ABC game of the week, Kenny and Charles, NBA. And then there's the Tuesday night league pass, NBA, right? There's two NBAs. No offense to Doc, Tuesday night league pass, NBA. But Doc, you know this, Perk. Doc can't exist in that other NBA. That's his, that mic on his, that's his oxygen. He needs that, you know, he needs to be in that first NBA. He wasn't going to be able to exist in that second one. So it's Sean, but look, it's hard though, right? You go from, you go from where we were setting records for national televised games. Like I, what every other game we had a national televised game. You don't want to go back to starting where you're only getting five, televised games like doc was past that he was a champ he needed to be somewhere and you know doc doc can say what he want but he loved the limelight he loved <laughs> he loved it he loved it he loved it he want to pull out his suit if you notice on tele on when it's televised he always get a technical foul <laughs> and how about you remember this one perk whenever it's a national tv tv game he had that chalkboard up. leon leon you know always screaming yeah hey, we, we gotta you know what and that was, and that God love him. That was, and people are like that, but that was Doc. And he needed to be in that world. And they, that world part of the NBA is better for having him in it. Everything that had yeah. to happen in 2013 needed to happen. But the best part about what we're talking about right now, and the same thing with the Ubuntu story, this is literally just the tip of the iceberg. And when, when we're able to talk to all of the parties that were involved with these stories yeah. and put these, the, stitch these stories together, it's going to be incredible. It's going to be like a mini documentary on these yeah. really incredible stories that no one really knows the details about. And then on top of that, throughout this season, we're also going to be, well, we hope that we're going to be getting some pretty high level interviews. I know Abby, you got a couple of people on your list. You want to talk to this year, right? For sure. I mean, I think tops on our list is NBA commissioner, Adam Silver and asking him Would to be awesome behind the scenes of what has been, I mean, we're coming up on a year now of unprecedented NBA drama and to hear what his perspective from that and asking him questions that no one else has or will. And then also, I mean, just tapping into obviously the guys who we have the most access to and who we know the best guys like Marcus Smart, who we know never stops talking on the court and never stops talking when he's in the locker room. I'm really curious to hear what the kind of stories he can tell about I want to learn more about him and his upbringing. We know a lot about that, but he has such an incredible story, and I'm really looking forward to speaking to him and and many other players. And there's yeah, there's so many more stories that that we're hoping to tell. And really, you know, there's there's legends who have come through this organization that we have access to that no one else has access to. Great storytellers like Bill Walton, who we're going to try to get on the podcast. There's a long list of high level celebrity legends and, and uh, people who have come through this organization and made game-changing and taken part in game-changing moments that we're looking to, to have a part of this first season. One of those people is actually our guest for this episode. You might think that this is it for this episode. No, no, no. We got a lot more coming, and that's going to be an interview and a conversation with none other than Celtics president of basketball operations, Danny Ainge, and that's coming up in just a moment. But guys, we know Danny in a way that not many people on the outside know him, right? Like Perk, you, you've had a relationship with him since back in 2003. You have seen things with him behind closed doors that not a lot of people have seen. What is different about you know, him as a person that, that people on the outside might not understand about who he really is? Well, Danny is a great guy, family man. He's going to give it to you straightforward. He's not going to. That's the thing I respect most about Danny is that he never lied to me. Ever, ever. And you don't find general managers, you don't find guys with his role that, that's in his role that keep it straight with you. He used to always tell me, Perk, I'm going out to scout and I'm going to find somebody that's better than you. Right? That's his job. Rondo, I'm going to find someone that's better than you. Like, he would never lie. He was, he was always honest. And he's a great man. Like, if he genuinely... He genuinely cares about you, like as a person. Danny and I have phone conversations all the time about life, not basketball, about life. Like basketball is secondary to what goes on in everyday life. Everyday life. He's a mentor to me personally because we relate on a, to a lot of things. Danny Ainge outside of basketball, 
He's one of the best human beings in the world. Danny Ainge has come and sat down with me on a bus ride. Mark D'Amico, I mean, I, I'm not an important person. He has taken time out to come seek me out on a bus ride and ask me about my life and where I'm going and what I want to accomplish and, and my family and whatnot. Why does Danny Ainge care about this? It's just who he is. Uh, but these are some of the things that we want to dive into um, in talking to him and learning about him as the person um, and maybe not necessarily the things that everyone knows on the outside. Grandy, you've known him for a really long time. What stands out to you about Danny Ainge um, that, that might not be you know, out there in the public? That the same mischievous intellectual curiosity that he had when we first saw him as a player, that he carries that with him today. And I think there's two things. I think kind of what, you're, what you're hinting at, Mark, is that if he's had that conversation with you, he's had it with me, he's had it with Perk, he's had it with everybody because he does genuinely care. And he wants to get to know you on a, on a certain level. And it's, you can't fake, he's been doing this 18 years, 18 years in one job and that job in the NBA, that is a lifetime. That's insane. And when you hear players, you can make the argument that that job should be done at arm's length. You know, with GMs that don't travel around the team, they don't want to get to know the players or be a part of their lives because they have to make these tough decisions and make cuts and trade players away. But Danny has always thrown himself in, and that makes it more personal for him. And when he is in a situation to make the Kevin Garnett trade, that is a hard – it was the – I don't want to say the biggest no-brainer in history, but everything had been built towards that moment. That was hard for him to trade away all the young players that he had drafted, that he had cultivated, all the guys that came in with Perk in the year or two after uh, that was hard for him to do, but he wouldn't be, he, he put such a personal Danny Ainge stamp on the way he, he lives his life and does this job that it's, it's so unique to him. Well, I think that's the perfect segue into this conversation. So let's jump right into it. Here's our conversation with Celtics president of basketball operations, the coach, the broadcaster, the player, the executive for the Celtics, and obviously the family man, Danny Ainge. Well, Danny Ainge, thank you for joining us. Are you ex as excited about this being our first guest on the Celtics podcast as we are to have you here? I'm, I'm sure you're amped up about this. Are you not? Very flattered. Yes. First <laughs> guest is very flattering. Well, we're, we're all appreciative of you taking the time out, especially at this time of the year. We know it's busy. Uh, and, and that's what we want to talk about briefly here just to start. I feel like some people out there kind of just feel like the trade deadline uh, the buyout season, draft day. I, I think they feel like you just press buttons and it's just a button pusher and there's an easy button to either make a deal or not make a deal. But I know that you guys put in hours and hours and weeks and months of work leading up to those days. Can you kind of just give us an idea of what goes into the lead up to those particular days and the work that you and your team put in uh, before you actually get to those deadlines? Yeah, the deadlines are pretty crazy. I wish I wish that um, at trade deadline I, we could do a documentary and just see what happens. I've actually had we can do that. I've actually, That's what this is. I, I've yeah. actually had um, staff members that aren't normally in those meetings come in and they're just blown away. They had no idea what actually went on, just how busy it is. But leading up to it, there's a lot of conversation that leads up to deadlines, draft. I mean, draft, you go through, you know, a hundred workouts of players and flying in and visiting and meeting and interviewing uh, a lot of different players. And uh, trade deadlines are basically watching basketball, watching a lot of NBA games during the season, talking to other teams, uh, trying to figure out what teams' needs are and, and what your needs may be to improve. And, but, you know, making actual trades and making drafts is very complicated because it's a lot of time and you got to come down to a decision, like a lot of different ideas internally with players and coaches and owners and staff that all put a lot of time and effort and have a lot at stake at decision times, and then you have to make a decision. And um, so it's fun, it's intense, it's grueling at times, and, but it's very enjoyable. It's a, it's a fun process. And through that whole process, you get to, um, you know, work. Like, I think the greatest 
part of my job is just relationships. Like, you know, the relationship I developed with Kirk in his time here, I just felt like we just raised him up, you know, and I got some fun <laughs> stories, you know, like we just like, and then, you know, he goes on to play somewhere else and he probably doesn't know this, but like we watched so many of his games rooted for him and cheered, cheered him on. And um, we've had a lot of players come in here through the last five or six years, especially. But um, anyway, yeah, that's, that's the bad part of the job is trading players that you love that you've invested a lot of time and emotion into. Um, and, it, you know, uh, I was a player that was traded twice, so I understand the feelings that you have. And um, so it's just, it, there's, there's good and bad and, and hard and challenging, and, but most of the job is fun because you're around good people and it's basketball. Like, not real work. <laughs> Perk, how did how did Danny raise you up? If you gotta look back at that. I mean, it was crazy, but I, I, I tell people like I think when you get drafted, especially as a young as a young player, the organization that you go to matters. Because I think once they start, you know, once the culture and everything start working in for you, the front office start telling you the truth. Like Danny and I didn't had a lot of conversations where he just kept it 100. He kept it real on what I need to do, how I needed to work, um, things I didn't need to do. So I think when you see, when you look at the average years of the NBA players, what, three and a half, four years, right? And you're trying to exceed that and be get into those 10 plus years, it all, it all matters what organization you go to. And that's why you see a lot of young guys don't pan out because yeah, one is on them, and you can't you can't blame nobody else. But I think it's also the organization and the culture that you go to. And Danny was just a hundred percent honest with me on in, in a lot of areas, not just basketball wise, but off the court issues. And he helped me with a lot of the off the court issues that I had coming in. A lot of people that was around me that didn't mean well, things to that nature. So um, I was very thankful and grateful for that. But DA, I always tell people you used to be so honest with us that when you was going out to scout or look at players, you used to always say, "Hey, I'm going out to find somebody that's better than you." <laughs> like, do you still do that? Do you still do that now? First, guys, you know, I will to some guys that have a that are pretty secure in who they are. Um, but you know, so you have to read the guys. Sensitive. I got to be a little bit more careful nowadays, yeah. Perk. But it was fun with you guys. I could tell you and KG and Paul and Ray and anybody. Like, I, I, I'm, that's my job is to find better players better than you. Danny, that's a popular. I'm glad you said that. That's a popular narrative now. That about younger players today, about millennials, different work ethic, all of it, different thin skin, thick skin. But it almost seems like everything that every older generation has ever said about every younger generation in the history of generations, that they are different. It's been 25 years now as a coach and a GM. Are players legitimately different now? Has there been an evolution of some kind in how players are, how they carry themselves, how you have to deal with them? Yeah, I think the major, I think the change, the changes aren't major, but I think that social media and what we see, it's just our, our culture has changed as much um, in how we treat people uh, as opposed to older to other generations. And we all know that, like how it affects each individual child. I've raised six kids and I have 15 grandkids and they're all different. And they all, some of them are older generation type of people and some of them are being affected more by the younger generation. So I, you know, I think it's just what's happening culturally. I love the players of today. I think they're amazing. I think they're great kids. I think they work every bit as hard as any generation that's ever been, if not harder, just because we have so much more. We have, uh, I mean, when I started coaching, I had a couple of assistant coaches and a trainer and a strength coach. I mean, now you got four strength coaches and four physios and trainers and you have three full-time chefs that feed you breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I need that. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, it's just, uh, it's a different, it's a different world. 
Um, there's a lot more people, a lot more money in the NBA, and so I think the money it, it has changed all has changed who players are as well. There's so much money. The disparity between a forty million dollar player and a one million dollar player. I think when I came into the league, it was I think Bird was making four hundred thousand, and the minimum was fifty. So it was like there wasn't this huge gap in difference between it as there as there is now. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of things that that have affected this generation. I, I don't really like to label generations, honestly, but I'm just saying that there are players that are that can take it better, and I I try to be able to discern that. And the reason I would I could say that to Perk. And, and is because Perk could take it. Like he, la- he would laugh at it. Like I knew he wouldn't be offended by it. It might even motivate him. And you know, he would say back to me. He said, well, "Good luck, DA, because you probably ain't finding anybody better than me." <laughs> <laughs> and he was right, especially if you're saying that stuff to KG and Paul Pierce and Rondo, even. But Danny, have you seen? You talk about the difference in the locker room. Have you seen a difference in the dynamic and the way that players, the way that you can lead a group of men and, and just how guys react differently to each other. Well, you know, I always say that there are, you know, like everybody is a leader in the, in a locker room. Like everybody is either leading positively or leading someone down the wrong road, leading negatively and dragging you down. But everybody leads in some way or fashion. Now, there's a few exceptions of people that aren't really doing one way or another. They're just neutral. But, um, <laughs> You know, you have the ability to lead every every single player on that team, even if it's an impact on one person on your team. But another big difference is, um, you know, we now have 17 players. It was a challenge with 12. You know, like you got 12 players. I mean, one one of the one of the hard things of coaching is um, you go into a locker room after a huge win. And, you know, everybody's happy with the exception of the four guys that aren't playing or the three guys that aren't playing. Mm-hmm. Now you got seven to ten guys that aren't playing or and some of those guys aren't playing enough. You know, it's mm-hmm. the amount of players is is challenging for coaches because like they all have feelings and all have emotions. and They all have a voice. And so um, I think I think the coaching is becoming harder and harder with more players to manage and more coaches isn't the answer because you got to manage them too well well da to that point right i want to ask you this how important or do you think it's still important to have like veteran leaders in the locker room to help with those egos like like you per that's when you were at the end of your career yeah i was And, and i'm looking at guys like even guys like jared dudley you know, uh, that help manage those egos, keep guys intact, keep them motivated, keep them focused, make sure that they take, like, they could take some of that pressure off the coaches, right? Yeah, listen, I, I think that they're, that leadership, whether veterans, I mean, I think some of, some great leaders have been young players too, Perk. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that the, the concept of, I've been around a long time in this business and I've seen a lot of teams try to hire veterans in the locker room you know bring a veteran these young guys need a veteran and it hasn't worked out so good those veterans weren't as good leaderships as their reputations were or we needed an older player so um, or we need to hire guys to be coaches that are just finished out of their careers to make the transition and to give that coach that leadership they need so like you say like people that are hearing the truth understanding who they really are um you know, the, a lot of players think that they're way more important than they really are, as opposed to not understanding the amazing opportunity that they have in their life and how unique it is. And um, I won't say a player's name, but I, there was a player I was playing with in the, in the 80s who I believe was a terrific player and had such a bright future. And he acted out in, in a way that you wouldn't want to act out if you're the 11th or 12th player on those teams. And he was cut by the Celtics. And, you know, my initial thought was, well, you know, maybe he'll get a chance to go play somewhere else. And, you know, this, this team is pretty stacked. But that player never played in the NBA again. 
He got cut a couple more times and like that opportunity was there for him. Like I think he was gonna blossom in our culture, but it wasn't happening on his timeline and and his career was over. And we see that. Like it's so important for players to make it work wherever they are and do the best they can with whatever opportunities they get until they until they have control of where they can where they can play. But they you don't want to just act out and hope that that's going to make it better because that could just get you a red slip and and you, you might not get that opportunity. There, there, there's a lot of players out there right now that are every bit as good as players that are in the NBA. And you know that as well as anybody, Perk. There's a lot of good players out there. There's a lot of competition for jobs, especially jobs 10 through 17. And uh, when, you get the, when you get one of those jobs, you got to value it and be grateful for it and make the most of whatever it is so danny you mentioned that player from the 80s i'm curious how often does that happen now like how many times have you seen that type of situation play out while you've been president and gm of this celtics team um it's played out for sure um mm -hmm. yeah there are players like like perk said like i i don't take any credit for perk's success um, as an example, it, it is perk, you know, like he listened, he listened to the right voices. He took advice. A lot of players aren't, you know, don't, aren't listening. They, they're not, they're not listening or they're incapable of, you know, making good choices and being, staying disciplined and on a, on a true path. Uh, but, um, perk became a great player because he wasn't, he didn't come into the NBA, a great player. He came into the, in the NBA as a, a guy that had to work his tail off to be to get he was a Kirk he just said you didn't come in as a great player no he was a he was he had great potential but I think we can all back that up yeah yeah I got well, I got, Perk's, I got Perk's some documents I got some, I said that Perk and I have joked about this before but I got some documented three minute run times vertical <laughs> jump and body fat tests can you share that information <laughs> No, it's it's secret. It's HIPAA violations. So we, we've got to get that information. <laughs> but, uh, Hiding behind HIPAA. I would say it's such a backhanded uh, compliment. Yeah. But, yeah. But Perk was, uh, as an example, was a guy that he would listen and he would respond and he would take it and he would become better as a result. And, you know, like just like I wish all my children and grandchildren would always listen and they don't. You know, it's unfortunate, but they just don't. And sometimes they have to learn the hard way. And um, that was the example of what happened with in, back in the 80s. But yeah, there have been a couple of players that have come through here that just don't value their opportunity, don't recognize what an amazing chance it is, and have never been back in the league since. Is one of the lessons that we've taken from the last few years and over the entire span of your, again, coach, GM, president career, the fact that in that locker room that you're talking about where there are guys who are going to have different roles, that there really does need to be a caste system, that it's not a democracy where all 15 or 17 guys are equal. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, um, you know, hopefully they're all treated equal by other players and the coaches, but of course they're not given equal opportunity and equal minutes, um, but I think equal respect and equal appreciation uh, for all of those players, but yeah, there's there's no doubt that some players are just better and more valuable, and a lot of players really struggle with that. They they struggle with the fact that somebody else is getting more bad shots before they come out, or you know, like one, you know, they get one defensive mistake and they're out, and this guy's made three already. Yeah, there's just. They're just differences, and that's always going to exist. And your job is to prove to the coach that he needs you in the court. It's not a coach's job to treat everybody fairly. It's a player's job to prove to the, the coach needs you. And it's just that simple. It hasn't changed. Like you, my job, I got to go out there and beat this first round draft pick out. When I was a Celtic, we had, I had to beat first round draft picks out every year because they're not drafting big men because we have the three first ballot Hall of Famers. <laughs> so I got to beat out new guards every year. But that's you just have to prove to the coach he needs you on the court. And that's every coach wants to win. And that's your job. And uh, if you can't do it, don't blame the coach. You haven't done it. And uh, I think that that's, that's uh, 
where the challenges lie. And that's why 17 is so much harder than 12. So Danny, if we've got a new age of player who, you know, as the decades go on and the years go on, you might have to treat them differently based upon, you know, what society is at that time. How have officials changed? And the way that you interact with officials, the, the way that you did when you were a player in the 80s versus now when you're sitting courtside in an empty arena and they can hear every word that you and Mike Zarin scream at them. <laughs> oh, they can't. I wish they could, but no, I actually i am <laughs> glad I got my mask on and they can't hear. As a matter of fact, sometimes I'll yell something and they'll turn around and look and I'll like look at Allison and say, like, <laughs> <laughs> or Mike Zarin, it was them that yelled it. <laughs> but um, I think that, you know, the play, the, the game has definitely changed. I mean, when I was playing, referees would talk to you a lot, and there wasn't as much scrutiny on the officials. There wasn't every, uh, every call that they make being analyzed by the world on re instant replays, but also in the, front, in the league office and grading them on a system of their success and failures and the calls that they make which like even after we see video replay and even after we all are watching it there still are many debates on whether that was a good call or a bad call. like we still leave and don't know which what it was which, which was the right call often so the thing i liked about the older days bet a little better um there's there's a lot to like what's happening now and i think the game is is getting better and better officiated but in the in the older days it was the well yeah you he hit it out but you hit his arm and knocked it out and you didn't want to call a foul so i just gave them the ball and you know you can't do that like you got to be literal in the right calls like it doesn't make any sense right now to me that you go to an instant replay to see whose fingernail it hit when it <laughs> rolled out even though the guy hacked his arm to prevent him from getting the ball like he I agree. And so it's just, I don't understand why they go to replay and still can't get the call right. <laughs> and so that's, what's, uh, that's what I appreciated about then versus now. But uh, like I said, with that scrutiny, you know, referees are held to a very high standard and they're trying to get as many calls right as they can. And I think that for that, that's better. I feel like we've seen a lot more players arguing calls. Mark talked about your emotions. Do you sometimes when you see Brad Stevens, though, on the sidelines, and I know we can't hear what he's saying under the mask, but just how stoic he stays and how even keeled he is through, I mean, virtually, it feels like every moment, whatever is happening on the court, do you look at him kind of in amazement and, and wonder how he has that kind of self-control? Well, I mean, it's one of the things that, that attracts me to Brad as a coach. Like, I think that it's amazing, his temperament now. I do know Brad and I do watch him and he does have like this crazy competitive side to him and he yeah. does lose his mind on occasion. But if, you know, the more you lose your mind in front of your team, um, I don't think that's a, you know, I think it's okay on occasion, but I think over time it wears you thin. But I, I also think that, you know, the referees aren't listening. They're, you know, the more you're yelling and screaming, you know, maybe there are a young ref that you could take advantage of. But for the most part, refs, I learned from experience, you know, like yelling at the refs doesn't really help. <laughs> I wish I'd have known that when I was 22. Uh, but I think that... Um, Doc sure didn't know that. No, Doc, Doc is, on, is on the refs. But I think that, um, you know, some of it is just your own, per it's just personality thing, but... Brad, I think, understands that it's not beneficial and, that, and when he needs to, but I think sometimes he just like loses it and, and goes, goes off his rocker, but he hasn't done anything like I've done. Like I went out on the court yeah. and like kicked the ball that was sitting right on the court and just kicked it about 20 rows up into the stands for an immediate rejection, which is what I, <laughs> ejection, which is what I wanted. Um, <laughs> But yeah, just, but I like the personality, I like the, the stable, just the Brad, because, you know, players are so emotional and the players are going through all of this emotion. And so having somebody that's not freaking out and going, living his life in emotional states um, is, I think is part of his great leadership. Like you just can't, when you got 
players that are doing the same thing. We need stability. And, um, you know, and like I said, there's a time and a place to stand up for a player. There's a time and a place to, you know, hold the referee accountable to what you think is not being done right. But uh, I think Brad has a very good balance of that. I think he's under control the most of the time, which is what I think is important. Was that part of what you first noticed about him? The story is legendary now. You and Pag, Steve Paliuka at the Final Four in 2010, and she and Krzyzewski walk on the court, and you're like, there's the best coach in college basketball, and Pags just assumed you were talking about Mike Krzyzewski. But if that story, to whatever degree it is true, and it again has become urban legend, he must have been on your radar way before that. So when were you first aware of Brad Stevens at Butler? Yeah, well before 2010. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like when I go out and watch college games, um, you know, I watch coaches. I, I watch the coaches and how they're interacting with the players. I always try to get seats that give me a good view of the bench, or close mm -hmm. to the bench. Um, but I'm watching the interaction. So as I'm scouting players, um, I'm not so much scouting coaches, but I'm looking at how the coaches are reacting, how the players reacting to that coach. And, I mean, there's some fun ones, but I mean, maybe the most fun guy to, that entertained me the most, and I always wanted to get a seat by the Yukon bench. Oh, he was a crack up, Jim Calhoun. I mean, <laughs> he had me laughing so many times, but it was just as entertaining as the game itself. I, mean, <laughs> I love Jim Calhoun, but he was he's hysterical. To, to now we got to talk to Kemba about that. Yeah. I wanted to kind of go back to something you talked a little bit about with Perk and um, just the relationships that you have, not only with these guys, but with coaches. I mean, even members of the media, when we were preparing for this, we talked about what stands out to you about Danny and that it is really that we feel like you do care about us as people and, and you make an effort to reach out and actually um, touch people and, and, and speak with them. And so, my question to you is, in your job, how do you separate that, those relationships? How do you balance that when it comes to the time to make tough decisions? Because you do have this reputation that everyone is, no one is safe. Everyone is tradable if, if it's a deal that makes the team better. And so how do you emotionally balance that? Well, like I said, I mean, it's, it's uh, I think, you know, the hardest thing is when you have to cut players um, that, you know, you're, you're hurting a dream. You're preventing them from accomplishing a dream. When you when you trade players that still they're one of 450 players that are in the world that are playing in the NBA and making a good good amount of money, it's still not easy at all. It's really hard, especially when um, you you have invested a lot of time and emotion into their lives. I think that um, you know you just. I have a job to do and I have to try to help them be prepared for the real world. And it's like, it's no different than a child that's not getting a chance to play or, you know, you don't just run and change schools and go find a coach that's going to play you more. Like, no, you teach them to fight and work hard. And, um, but I think the relationships are the most important part of, of what we do. And I think that, um, the greatest joy that I have in my job is those relationships better than hanging championship banners, better than, you know, making a good living. It's the relationships. As I look back on my career, my coaching, and in this job, that's what I find. Why, why Danny, why is that stuff so important to you? Because they last, they last forever. And, um, I think those relationships, they matter a great deal. Like those are, my greatest joys in life come from my friends and ex-players and ex-coaches I've worked with and played with. Um, and I, I, I'm grateful for that to learn as a player when my career was over. And I look back and I have a couple championship rings. I've had a good career and played on great teams. But it was those relationships I had with coaches and players that was the most meaningful by far. How do you establish those relationships now with guys who were i mean for some of the guys on the team you're three times their age how how do you relate to guys who have been brought up in a completely different situation than you they're they're living a totally different life at that age than you did 
I, I just don't understand how you're capable of connecting so deeply with them because, I mean, a lot of players will jump on and say in media sessions how cool you are and that they, would, they like, want to hang out with you. And that's, that's not always the case. I would imagine that's not the case everywhere around the league. Well, listen, I, I mean, there, there's definitely um, players that, are, that connect with anybody more, get, that connect with a certain player or connect with a certain executive. And so I've had connections that are much deeper and longer lasting than other players who think I am too old or don't like to hear what I have to tell them or, uh, you know, don't like their role in the team and, you know, think that they're not being treated fairly. So, I mean, there's a lot of players that have come through that I haven't developed great relationships with, but, um, you know, and I understand it. I understand those ones that don't want to connect with me. They don't think I can see the world from their perspective, but, um, you know, and so I, I don't want to make it seem like I have connection, uh, this really great connection with every single player because it takes two people to really connect. And, um, but I really value those, those um, because relationships are hard and they're challenging sometimes. And um, I value those ones that have been hard and we've been through tough, tough times and tough things. And um, whether it's life or family or their careers, um, but there's some that seek out my counsel and, and come to my office and want to talk through difficult times and some that don't. It's interesting because there are a lot of colleagues of yours in different sports who are averse to developing those relationships because of the decisions they have to make. And it occurs to me now, just hearing you talk about it, obviously from a human standpoint, all the relationships we developed, I came in as a young announcer and I said, you know what, I'm going to stay away from the players because I don't want to, I have to talk about them on the air. And I realized that was just colossally stupid and a mistake of youth because getting to know people is what this experience is about. And it makes, it's made me better at my job. And it just occurred to me hearing you talk about it with so many who don't go that path. Has the connections you've made have obviously been benefited you from a human standpoint? Have they made you better at your job connecting with players the way that you do? I think so. I think it, I think it's helped. You know, like I said, I wish I could connect with all of them. I wish they all listened to the counsel I give them because I only want their success. And wherever they're wherever they're playing, wherever their future is, whether it's with us or with someone else. But like I said, they don't uh, always and. But hopefully they have someone else they're listening to that can give them good counsel. And a lot do. Uh, a lot of players have really good people around them. that, um, <clears throat> So they don't need to listen to me. They don't need my counsel or advice. So I'm not offended by that. I just want, uh, I just think that players know that I care about them and care what happens to them. And uh, so, you know, I know that from the outside world, uh, like when a guy like Perk is traded, as an example, keep using per because he left us, so now we can talk bad about him. He's not talking about <laughs> we, that. We did anyway. Acknowledging. But, um, you know, it's, it's those, those times are, those memories are, are just special. And, um, but like I said, they're not always rosy. Like, they don't have to be. Just like a marriage relationship or a father-son relationship or, like, you know, Truth is more important than, you know, trying to always paint, you know, put a smile on everybody's face. Like, you know, being honest and forthright with people matters. And I honestly, like before you jumped on, when we were all talking as a group about you, that's what stood out the most to all of us about who you are as a person, not necessarily who you are as the executive or the coach or the player. It's who you are as a person. And that, that's what stood out to us, and I'm sure that stands out to every player who comes through the Celtics doors, no question. Yeah, I, I probably would dispute the every player part of it. <laughs> <laughs> there's, some, there's some players that probably don't, uh, you know, aren't that fond of me, but um, I'm okay with that. Like, I, I, that, doesn't, that doesn't bother me, and I don't, I, I don't have to be... Um, validated by every single player. There's some that there's not a connection with. Have you always done the job that way from the moment you started being a GM or is that something that you saw in general managers that you enjoyed working with or is that just who you are as a person? Because not everyone does it that way. I think it's a combination. I think that part of it is just my personality and, but I like people. 
Like I just, I just do. You know, when, when uh, I remember my high school coach who was a legend in the state of Oregon, and my two older brothers had played, and so I was around the team as a ball boy and watching practice, and you know, and I was around him. He was a tough, tough son of a gun, and he was, and my brothers were not big fans, and it was really hard. And I watched this, you know, all the time and growing up as in my middle school years. And I loved him. I hmm. thought he was an amazing coach. And, you know, of course, he wasn't ever yelling at me. And uh, but, you know, I, I, when I got to high school, like I, would, I created a much looser atmosphere than this coach had created. I even made him laugh in front of the whole team some. And, you know, instead of just always being salty about who this coach was, I had grown to, to really be fond of him. And I think it helped our team, I think it helped our relationship. And um, I just think that I've, I've always wanted that. I don't mind being criticized. I don't mind a player not liking what I have to say. Um, I don't seek that validation. I just like um, good people that can influence your life for good. And, um, I've been fortunate to be around a lot of people that have helped me, you know, have perspective just by a smile or a shake, a uh, short conversation. And I think people help us. How much time is there to, you can watch hours of video on a player and games and talk to their, how much time is there? as you're preparing for a draft in any given year to investigate that part of a young man who you want to bring into the organization, the, the, the non-basketball stuff that's such a big part of a Marcus Smart or other guys, how do you find it? And how, do you have to rely on some of the instincts we've been talking about, about personal relationships that you've had? Yeah, so, you know, I would say last year, the, the toughest part of not having those opportunities mm-hmm. of, uh, so we do a lot of background checks. We talk with college professors, college coaches, assistant coaches, um, director of basketball operations, trainers, uh, high school teachers. I mean, there's we do so much in, in background checks on a lot of guys that are potential candidates. But that's you know perspectives from others. It, there's nothing quite like sitting down at Chipotle. <laughs> that's uh, the end of the story right there right yeah. there's nothing like I mean, sitting down at Chipotle and whether it's you know just one-on-one nobody else around and just visiting and talking and hearing what they're like after after spending time in a workout and going in and just being with a person one-on-one I think that there's great value and I mean probably um I think that the guys that that made the most impact on me where I you know just fell in love with them as people on top of players might have been Rondo and Rogier might have been the two guys that mm-hmm. nobody else was really that excited about and um where we were drafting and you know but their personalities and we just connected and I felt like it wasn't just like I'm not trying to find people that will just connect with me but I'm trying to find people that are passionate and, you know, that have, and sometimes it's not, I mean, obviously those two guys are completely different, Terry and, and Rondo, mm-hmm. but they, so it's not like I'm looking for one certain type of person as much as just a passion, a love, a drive, uh, you know, listening. Um, you know, it was just that I just felt the connection with those guys. Do you judge their orders, Danny? I'm like sorry? if someone gets a chicken burrito versus a quesadilla, is that your is the burrito your guy? I mix it up occasionally, but I'm mostly off the chicken now, and uh, mostly go for the tofu. But yeah, I mix it up. Perk's well, back. Perk, we're wrapping things up. You got anything? No, that that's, that was my apologies. I'm trying to multitask. I had to make sure I come back in at the end. Catch da. Hey, D.A., I just wanted to tell you I appreciate you for everything that you've done for me. And look, I see you haven't called me in a long time, right? <laughs> I hope I ain't pissed you off by something I didn't say it on TV. He, he's looking for broadcasters who are better than you. <laughs> 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 
So, no, Perk, you, you guys are still okay. Perk, you could, you, you actually, I don't think you could offend me even if you tried. So don't ever worry. You can say whatever you, you can say whatever you want on TV. All you guys. Well, Danny, I think everything that you have just said has backed up the words that we all said about you before you came on. Um, you're a great human being, and and that's that's the point of this entire conversation, so that every, everyone out there can learn a little bit about who you are. Uh, behind the curtain, and not just the guy who, who's making the moves to put this team together. So we really appreciate your time, and uh, we're, looking, we're looking forward to talking to you again down the line on this podcast. Thanks for being our first guest ever. I appreciate, I appreciate all you guys. I, before. I appreciate all you guys. And, and Mark, you've done a great job, and I, I follow you on Twitter, and I, I think you do an excellent job for all of our media things in the Celtics. Abby, you're a champ. And I'm glad you're getting this great opportunity to, you know, take a step up. And you're doing a wonderful job. Perk, you're a rookie still. <laughs> you got work to do. And but Perk, you know, we're, we're, yeah, you got to go get the food, man. You got to make the make the run to Chipotle for us. Perk, you have some strong, strong opinions. And I find it very, very entertaining, even though I disagree with half of them. They are hilarious. <laughs> That's a pretty good ratio. And just, Perk, I got two words for you. Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> and, Carry and Sean, on. I think you're the best in the business. Um, I love when we're playing at home, and I sometimes will leave in the fourth quarter when I'm not so happy about how the game is going. <laughs> but I listen to your take. I've listened to our games on radio many, many times, and I really do believe you're the best in the entire business. And we're lucky to have you in, in our organization. Is one time when Gerald Green, the first Gerald Green stint when he was a rookie coming out of high school and had some had some issues, right, acclimating to the NBA game. And one night I, I think I got so frustrated with some of his decision making, I said in the heat of the moment, man, if Gerald Green, I guarantee you when he goes to the supermarket, he picks the wrong lane to check out every time. And Danny pulled me aside. I think he's going to yell at me for saying that. But he goes, that was the funniest thing I ever heard. It's so true. All right. Well, Danny, thanks again. Put a bow on it. That's the end of episode one, and we're looking forward to seeing everyone for episode two coming up next week. Thank you, Danny. All right, guys. Stay safe. All right, thanks, Thanks, Danny. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today.